Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, I just wanted to ask you guys this morning, um, as you're turning there, um, I don't know if this ever happens to you. Um, I wish it happened to me more, to be honest with you. I wish I thought about this more. Um, do you ever just get in awe of God's Word? I mean, do you ever just, as you're reading Scripture, as you're opening up this book and you're reading the words of God that were penned, do you ever just start reading it and there's this sense of just smallness come over you and you realize the weight of this book? You realize the power of this book? Maybe your Bible is in your lap right now. Maybe it's on a device in your lap right now. Maybe you have a paper copy with you. Maybe you go home from here today and you set it on your bedside table. Maybe in the morning as you awake, you open up its pages and you begin to read from these words from God. And I hope you do this. I hope you read it like it's written to you. Now here's the key. It's written to you, but it's not so much about you. And here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we have a tendency to read Scripture and we put ourselves as the hero of the story. We think everything in here revolves around us. But isn't that kind of how we can be in our everyday life? We kind of start thinking that maybe our marriage is all about me. Your job is all about you. This world is all about you. Your children really revolve around you. Everything revolves around you. So when you go to this book, you start making everything in here revolve around you. Now let me understand, give clarity here. A lot of this applies to our lives, and it is for us, okay? It's for us to apply by God's grace so we can live in a way that is pleasing to Him. But this book is about Him. There's only one hero in the story, and it's not you. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard a pastor say it this week, and it blew me away. I thought, how true is that? If I can give you a reality check, he told this congregation, he said, you are not David. Let's just get that straight right now. He went on to say, your problems and struggles, they're not giants in your life that you are meant to slay. You're not David. He went on to say this, if anyone in the story resembles you and I, it's the Israelites cowering in the corner. That's who we are. So then if we're not David, and we're the Israelites that have no strength and no ability to fight what's coming against us, then who in the world does David represent? David is a representation of Jesus Christ. Well, then who is that giant? Isn't that my troubles and my sorrows and I'm supposed to rise up against them and slay them? You can't slay them. But what that story screams to us is, listen, take heart. There is one who's already conquered the giant, which is sin and death and hell. And you don't have to try to resurrect that giant and defeat that giant. All you have to do is trust in the one that defeated the giant. And this morning, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about the power of this book. Because I fear that in my own life, I don't really stop and honor this book as what it truly is. I don't really elevate this book to so much more than just a book. This is the only written words by man that were empowered by God. There is no other book. Now listen, I've got some great resources in my library. I have some great commentaries by some great and godly men. I love reading the words of Matthew Henry and Warren Worsby and Augustus Strong and, and, and 
Thiessen and all these other great theologians. But that's not inspired by God. They went to this book and God spoke to them and they looked at this book and said, now I believe this is what God is saying. And they penned those words and God has used those words. Maybe you have a Christian author that you really enjoy listening to. Maybe you're a fan of a Priscilla Schreier or a Beth Moore or, or maybe some other author or, or teacher that you listen to on YouTube. Man, isn't it amazing how much of this book is readily available anytime we want it from pastors and speakers? I mean, you find a speaker, you can punch that into YouTube and you can watch hours and hours and hours of this speaker. And that's such a blessing. I want to remind you, their words are not inspired. God says, my word is God-breathed. Man, there is power in this book. And I fear we don't read it like that. I fear we open these pages and we read some things and go, okay, God, what's in it for me? Thanks. I'm out the door. We don't go, God, show me who you want me to be for your glory. God, show me how you want to speak to me, how, you want to, how do you want to enlighten my mind so that I can know you more, so I can worship you more effectively and serve you in more effective ways so that you are glorified more effectively in my life. And there is power in this book. I mean, do you ever just sit in awe of the sheer fact that God chose to reveal himself to you through this book? That God said, hey, I want to let you know about me. I want to tell you who I am. And I want to tell you what my desires are and my heart and my love for you. And I love that line. When we realize the love of God for us, I cannot hold on to these regrets. I can't keep living in these regrets any longer. Well, how in the world do I know that God loves me? We just sang a song, oh, he loves me. How do we know that? You don't know that because I told you or because somebody wrote a song. You know that because God's word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Ephesians says that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Man, we know all we know of God from God's word. And I'm fearful in my own life, I set this book aside and I treat it like another book. It's just another book that I read. We equate the words in this book on par with these authors and teachers and speakers. And there is nothing like this book. There is nothing like it. This is the only thing that can change your life. And you might say, well, it's just words on pieces of paper. How does that change my life? Because it tells you about the one that wants to intervene in your life and save you and radically change you and glorify himself through you. So I want to look through some things this morning, and I want to talk about the power of this book, because I believe if, if we're not careful, we can start treating this just like another book, just more information. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I know most of you probably already dropped down to that verse. You've already gone ahead of me and read it, because your personality is such that you just had to figure it out. So good for you if you figured it out. For those of us that are more obedient, you were waiting to be told to go to verse 12. So now we can go to verse 12, okay? It's okay. Those of you that follow rules and all those want boundaries and everything. Okay, so verse 12. For the word of God. And you might say, well, isn't that speaking about Jesus? Because in John 1.1, what does it say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word 
was God. That word there in John 1.1 1, 1 is referring to the person of Jesus Christ. Can we just stop and praise God that God is a triune God? That Father, Son, and Spirit all working together for the redemption of mankind and the glorification of the Father? That God is glorified through that? So why is this speaking about, isn't that speaking about Jesus then? No, the word here is different than the word from 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. Now, the word of God, Christ Jesus, speaks the word of God, does he not? Man, we didn't know God clearly until we met who? Jesus. He said, I have come to reveal the Father to you like never before. Here, this word, word, is the idea of specific scriptures, specific teachings of God's word that we can take and apply to specific situations we're going through. It's basically saying this is the right verse at the right moment in the right time by God's grace and wisdom. Listen to what it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Man, I praise God, his word is powerful. And sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand all that that means. But I'll tell you this much, as we continue to read on in just a moment, that God's word is able to look into you like nothing else and no one else can. It says this, not only the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, And is, get this, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When I first really studied that out and read that years ago as a Christian, a new Christian, that part scared the mess out of me. Let's be real for a moment. Think about what that just said. The word of God is able to cut into you and to reveal the very thoughts and intents of your heart. Do you know what that means? You can't play on God. You can't hide from God. You can't tell God one thing and think and feel another and fool God. And I'm being honest with you guys, that scared me when I was a young Christian. That was just like, man, wait, so he knows what I'm thinking in my heart? Listen to verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked, not naked in the sense of no clothing, okay? Don't go there. Okay, this is church. We've got to think a little higher than that, okay? Some of you, anyway, I'm just not going to go there. Uh, the idea of nakedness here is the meaning of being exposed, open, okay? Study out why Adam and Eve, it's mentioned that they were naked and unashamed. And then it says after sin came in, they clothed themselves because they knew they were naked and ashamed. Study out why are they all of a sudden aware of this? What is it about the nakedness that causes an issue there? It has to do with vulnerability. It says here, but all things are naked and opened or vulnerable to him and unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know what that means? That God sees everything. Man, what a, what a scary thought, but what a comforting thought. You ever go through something and it's a struggle and a trial? What's one of the first lies the enemy tries to get you to believe? That God doesn't see and God doesn't care. God doesn't care what you're going through. God doesn't see that. And here we read that, no, 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 no. God sees everything. And I can tell you, God is more than just concerned about what you're going through. His heart is heavy for you. And how will we ever know that unless we give ourselves to the studying of this book and not for gaining of knowledge? 
And so many people read these verses and try to memorize verses and read it, memorize it, just so they can have knowledge of God. And there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But if it stops there, man, talk about selling yourself short. You're missing out on the weight and the fullness of what it is to just be in awe of this book. Man, to let the words of God, it says it is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It opens you up before God. It exposes you before God. It's opening you up so that God can see what's going on and then work in your life. And there is power in this book unlike any other book on the planet because this book contains the very thoughts and the very heart of God. And again, it's not that it's all about you. It's all about him. But in knowing him, we find out who we really are supposed to be and how much we're really loved. I know Greg prayed. Can we just pray real quick and ask God to speak through his word this morning? Lord, we pray that as only you can, that you would speak into our hearts and minds. Lord, as we spend some time talking about your very words, I pray that we would understand what that really means to us in our life. It's not about making us the, the hero of the story or putting us on display. It's about knowing you and your glory. And so I pray that you would allow your words to penetrate our hearts and our minds this morning as we endeavor and we are just hungry to hear from you. Thank you for revealing yourself through this book. For the Christian sitting in here today, Lord, that's been saved for a few years, that maybe has read through the Bible a couple times, kind of, Kind of just, I've I been there, I've done that, I got the t-shirt kind of mentality, Lord. I just pray that you would shake us from our apathy. For the one here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that your word would reveal to them that you love them. That you gave yourself for them on a cross. First Corinthians chapter 15 says that the gospel is the death, burial, resur resurrection. And you say in your word, according to the scriptures. And so, Father, I pray that if somebody doesn't know you, they'll put their faith and trust in you today. Help us to see what you have for us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read just a couple quotes to you this morning of the power of God's word and how it impacted some very key people in church history. And I don't usually read this many quotes, but I want to read through here. I want you to listen to these individuals and what they said about the power of God's word. Not so much to affirm God's word, but to show that there's evidence of how God is moving. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said of the word of God, listen to this, tell me this isn't just what God's word can do in our lives. Here's what Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. Praise God, his word runs after us. You ever wandering somewhere you shouldn't be and his word comes chases you down? And the work of the Holy Spirit reminds you of these things. He says, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. It was Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that set Luther free from the bondage of religion and led him to write his 95 theses, which was one of the key moments in the early part of the reformation of the church. The just shall live by faith. That wrecked Luther. He could not comprehend how to take that scripture and the, the things he had been taught in the church and combine them together. It just didn't fit together. So he said, man, I must go with the word of God. 
Jonathan Edwards, a man known as a great revival preacher, described his experience of the glory of God when he was in his late teens and how the word of God was key. Listen to this. He said, the first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things. Can I just, man, that's powerful what he just said. The first instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight. And too many Christians are like, I guess I better go to church. I guess I better read my Bible. Oh, I got to pray. Let me just go pray. Spend some time with God. To have to, woo, calm down, put out the fire, right? Man, Jonathan Edwards says, no, no, there's this inward sweet delight. It's like when you wake up in the morning and you smell those cinnamon buns in the oven. And that sweet delight. Okay, it's greater than that, but give a little food for thought there. When you think about it, though, it's, there's this, this inward joy. Listen to what Edward says. When I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things, that I have lived much incense, was on the reading those words. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 7. This is the verse. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He goes on to say, As I read these words, there came into my soul, as it were diffused through it, a sense of, of the glory of the divine being, a new sense, quite different from anything I have ever experienced before. And what is the key in that verse? Like, why did that speak to Edwards in such a huge way? Because listen to it. Now unto the king, the king, not a king, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. One last testimony I want to share of the power of God's word. Listen to one man sharing during what's called the Great Awakening of 1859. A revival that swept across not only America, but even in England. Their stories of the Great Awakening where men would leave the harbor of one nation. And when they were in the middle of the ocean, revival broke out on this shore. They got to America. Revival had already hit there. And revival had hit the boat on the journey. And that's how powerful God can move. Listen to one testimony from 1859. He says this, The very sim simplest means carried with them a heavenly power. The very simplest means carried with them a heavenly power. The plain reading of a chapter often conveyed the call of God to men and women, and they came to Jesus as they were. Did you get that? The plain reading of a chapter. It literally means they would stand at their church and just start reading Hebrews chapter 4 or John chapter 3 or John chapter 14. And they're just reading through these things. And as the word of God is just being read to the people, people are flocking the aisles and screaming out, I need Jesus. Do you know Jonathan Edwards was known to just read his sermons verbatim, no emotion? And he's called the greatest revival preacher he would literally, historians say, get to the pulpit and say, and God said, as it were, 
And just read and read and read. Never even hardly making eye contact with the audience. You go to any speech class, what are they going to tell you? Oh, man, you're going to lose them. If you're not keeping eye contact and telling little jokes here and there, you're not giving good illustrations, and you're not entertaining the people, they're going to drift off. Well, how is it that Jonathan Edwards saw so many come to know Christ? By just reading Scripture. Maybe because God's Word is different. Maybe because preaching God's Word isn't a speech. I can tell you this right now. I get just countless emails and brochures about how to make your preaching better and here's some strategies and some tips and some tricks and three ways to do this and 10 ways to do that and 17 ways to do this and 300 ways to do that and all you got to do is pay 79.95 and you too can learn how to preach like me I couldn't do that no one wants to preach like me but if you want to I'll tell you it's free It's all about, like, how can I strategize to to convince you to follow Jesus? How can I manipulate this text to make it sound like this so I can get you fired up and you'll go do something for Jesus? Man, it's not my job. It's not my job. And I'm not saying you have to just read your text and just know emotion. I can't stand still for more than five minutes. I'm watching my son over here. He's up. He's down. He's got his leg on a chair. He's down. He's up. He's hiking. His, he's down here. He's up here. He's doing this. That wasn't even during worship. That was just the five minutes he had to sit still. And I almost said something to him, and then it dawned. I mean, the Lord was like, where do you think he got it from? <laughs> so y'all pray for Sandra, because she needs to calm down. She gets too fired up. <laughs> no, serious. I was just like... When I see these things, there's a part of me that just gets kind of like, I laugh a little, and then I get a little annoyed. Man, do we really believe the power of this book? Man, people would just read the words, and people would come fall into Christ. Now, I'm not saying you can't have illustrations and stories and jokes and whatever. That's all good. It's your personality. Share Christ how God has gifted you to share Christ. But man, I think we've kind of tried to like... I think we have to overcompensate for God's word. And while it's an old book and it's kind of boring. By the way, if you've never really read this book, you think it's boring. Once you read this book, you realize this is not boring. Now, I don't know if we have any little ones. Do we have any? We've got a couple little ones in here. Okay, well, I won't give you examples. But you just go through the Old Testament book by book. And there's one right around Proverbs. Y'all know where I'm going with this? Kind of an interesting read. Let's just put it that way. When, I remember when I was 17. I was in youth group. And you know, when the guy's teaching, you're like, okay, whatever, yeah, Jesus, yeah. So you're flipping through the Bible because you want to see, you know. And I get to that book, Song of, you know, and I was like, oh, I never read this book before. What's this about? I got like five verses in and I was like, that's in, that's in the Bible? I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to even like talk about that. It's in the Bible. And then, you, you know, you're 17, 16, so what do you do when you find stuff like that? Dude, look at this. And you giggle because, you know, you're 17. The Bible is not boring. There is so much in that book. And the most amazing thing in the book that makes it not boring is it's the only book that's living. And it's active. And it's moving. Man, it lays hold of me, Luther says. It runs after me. 
There is so much power in this book. May we understand the soul-shaking power of this book and understand what it makes, what makes this book so powerful to us. I'm not even into the points yet, but let's see if we can move through here pretty quickly. There is power in this book because a couple of things, if you're taking notes, the first thing we have to grapple with and understand is it reveals God by revealing his character. It reveals God by revealing his character. When we read this book, we are made aware of the God of this book and his heart and character. This is crucial in understanding our God. It's crucial in understanding our God because his character is much different than ours. You ever found that to be true? You're reading through a story and you're like, oh, I know what I would do. And then you read what God does and you're like, well, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have thought like that. I wouldn't have said it like that. Because he's not you. And you're not God. His thoughts, what's the Bible say, are so much higher than our thoughts. His ways, way above our ways. You can't even comprehend the things that God is doing. Because he's orchestrating things, not on a local level, even on a global level. He's working things out at a universal level. He's doing things with galaxies. He's sustaining solar systems. He's doing things that I can't even pronounce, let alone understand how to control. He is doing so many things, and his character is different than ours. And if we don't realize that, by giving ourselves to this book and realizing his character is different, we are tempted to make him like us. We're tempted to make him think like us and act like us and be okay with what we're doing because we think he's like us, and we can justify it in our own eyes. A.W. Tozer said it well, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of God. The essence, he says, of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of God. Man, you want to worship God like you've never had before? Just let your thoughts dwell in the realness of who God is according to his word. One thing we are made aware of about our God and his character is that he is ferociously and furiously about his own glory. All throughout this book, it is clear that everything God does is for his own glory. So as we understand him and worship him, we too must be completely about what? His glory. We must study this book so that we will worship the God of this book in a way that he deserves. And as we spend time in his word, it will give us great joy. When you live yourself or your life for his glory alone, you think, well, if it's all about him, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting what I need. <clears throat> Wrong. When you're all about his glory, he will give you a joy and a peace that is unexplainable. He will, he will show you things that you can't even imagine. And it may mean you go through some roads of trial. Listen, by the way, another thing. I hate to ruin anybody's, you know, good time and all the stuff they're selling online. But nowhere in this book does it say you don't go through trials as a follower of Christ. Nowhere in this book does it say that just because you're a Christian, your bank account's full. Okay? Because if that's true, I ain't saved, y'all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just throw that out there. Nowhere. You know what this book does say? Oh, man, if you love me, the world will hate you, Jesus says. They hated me. They're going to hate you. They persecuted me. They crucified me. How are, you gonna, how are they going to treat you? Paul says it this way. Man, you want to live righteously? Awesome. You're going to be persecuted for that. But you can flip on any 
TBN station or a show on that station. And you can Google lots of YouTube videos, and they'll tell you all kinds of scriptures. Oh, brother. When somebody's calling you brother, you should be a little concerned. Like, what are you trying to sell me right now? Oh, God is for you. Mm. God is for you. God is for your blessing. So you send me $75, and I'll pray for you, and God will increase that to $750. I don't, I don't, I don't see that in here anywhere. Man, we got to be so discerning of these things because if we're not careful, we make God like us. And we start worshiping him in our image instead of realizing that we were made in his image to reflect his glory. This is exactly what David understood about the word of God and the joy that comes there. And listen to David's words in Psalm 1, 1 through 3 when he said this. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers. It's amazing to me. We're not going to take time to go on it, but look at the, the transition there. It talks about those that walk, stand, sit. Starts off by walking with the wicked, then he's standing around listening to them, and then you sit down and have a conversation. He says, man, you got to be so careful you don't fall into that. He does say this, though. Who's blessed then? It says, but his delight, the one who is blessed, his delight is in the law of of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Oh, no, 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 the law is bad. How could David delight in the law? The law is bad. No, 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 the law is not bad. The law is good and godly and useful when used in the right way. David understood, man, the more I know God's law, the more I know God, and the more I know his character, and I see him as a holy and just God so I can worship him in accordance with that, and man, that gives me a great joy. He says, I delight in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. It doesn't mean that he walked around with the Ten Commandments or the 613 commandments, just, oh, okay, i got to read this day and night. No, no, no. He dwelt on that. His mind would drift to those things when he had time to not be thinking about something else or focus on something else. Do you have a joy in God's Word? Or do you look at it that time as a chore or a have to? When you feel God leading you, hey, just come spend some time with me. Come get into my word for a little bit. Do you go, ah, i got to do that? Or, man, do you go, oh, I just can't wait to spend time with him and to read what he has for me today, to hear from him through his word. I want to encourage you. The joy that you're missing out on is not God's fault. Stop looking at this as a chore and come to his word expecting God to speak so that he is glorified. See, it reveals God by revealing his character. It also reveals God by revealing his presence. Every time we open and read these words, we are in the very presence of God. You are able to, if you will, go up the mountain as Moses did in the Old Testament and hear directly from him. This is a powerful, powerful reality that we understand as followers of Christ that our Old Testament saints did not understand. Do you realize, and we've been studying this out on Wednesday nights, do you realize that in the new covenant, in the new promise, in Christ, you don't have to go to someone who goes to God for you? That You can actually just go up the mountain and sit in the very presence and the glory of God and hear from him? That Christ has made that available to you, that he has opened the door. There is no more division or a petition between you and him. 
What was once off limits is now made readily available to us. We don't have to hear someone else tell us of their mountaintop experience with God. We can have an encounter with God anytime we choose to merely expose ourselves to his word. I don't have to go to you and say, oh man, tell me what it was like when you were talking to Jesus. What was that like when you were reading his word? How did he speak to you? That's so crazy. We can just say, oh, you know what? I can spend that time with him. And I can go to God's word. And, and you might say, man, if Jesus was here, man, then I would really pay attention to what he had to say. He is here. Every time you read these words, he's speaking right to you. And again, not for you to be, oh, man, I'm pretty awesome. No, no, no. It's so you go, oh, man, look at how amazing God is. That he would love someone like me. The, world, the word reveals God's character and his presence. And what a gift that is. Don't take that lightly. And the one thing we have a tendency to do in the New Testament kind of understanding of grace is we just go, it's there anytime I want it. I can read that book anytime I want. So we in turn never do. Because we always put it off till tomorrow. Oh, grace. I'm saved by grace. I don't have to read that book to be a Christian. I don't have to go to his word and study for hours to be a Christian. Grace. Man, Peter seems to suggest that if you know Christ, you desire this. Like a newborn baby desires milk, you desire to be fed from it. And most of us started out that way. But somewhere along the line, we started kind of supplementing. We started putting things in the place of this book. Well, I serve, so it's okay, I don't have to read. Well, I prayed for five extra minutes, so I don't have to read for those five minutes because I spent more time in prayer. Hallelujah. Well, I gave to the tithe this week, so you know, I gave my 75 cents, and I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't got to read this week. And we start supplementing this time, and we think it's going to equal out when we really need to say, man, we need to be spending time in here, not because I have to, but because I want to be in his presence. I want to know him. So the word reveals God to us, but also the word reveals who we can be in Christ. How does it do that? And this is not an exhaustive sermon of all the things God's word can do because we'd be here forever. But I want to look at just a couple simple things. Not only how God's word reveals God to us, but also how the word reveals who we can be in Christ by renewing our mind. I know we know it. Go over to Romans chapter 12. I know you're going to be like, oh, I know this verse. I've heard this before. But look at the power of this verse. You see, the word reveals who God can be or who we can be in Christ by renewing our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. I've always loved that. You know what he's saying? It's just logical. It's common sense. Maybe we'll say it that way. I know sometimes I don't always exhibit common sense. You can laugh, but you do too. We all do stupid stuff. But Paul's saying, hey, listen, when you really understand what God did for you and the mercy he showed you by saving you, how can you honestly come up with any other conclusion than just to surrender your life to him? It just makes sense. That's why I struggle when people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to, and then fill in the blank. I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't have to read the Bible. I'm a Christian, but I don't have to pray. I'm a Christian, but I don't have to share my faith. That's fine, but it's pretty illogical when you realize what he did for you. 
Look at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Holy Spirit is renewing or renovating our minds. Notice Paul says this is not a one-time thing, but an ongoing renewing. Now, at the moment of salvation, it is true that at the moment of salvation, we are renewed and revived by the Spirit. However, as we live this life, we are in need of continual transforming of our minds. Just what Kathy said when she was up here sharing about her devotion. And our world says independence. I mean, we're founded. In a few days, we're, we're going to celebrate 4th of July, which we call that. We're going to celebrate that we're independent. And we're Americans. Right? I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I'm American. It's going to blow stuff up and barbecue. America. Right? I mean, we get so wrapped up in our independence that we don't realize that, hey, have your independence. That's great. I choose to, yes, enjoy the freedoms we've been given, but to fall just surrendered and dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm not unaware of my weaknesses. You can claim to be strong. That's fine. I know somewhere you're weak. I know you can't to something and in some way. And that's why we need to fall at the feet of Christ and say, no, 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 change my thinking. Do you know why so many people interject themselves in the word of God as they're the hero? Because it's all about me. Me first. I walk in the door. Honey, you better have my food done. <laughs> that will never happen in my house. But I'm just saying. I mean, I don't ever say that. She's usually got dinner ready. Okay. But I would never say that for two reasons. One, I'm kind of scared of her. Let's be honest. <laughs> These men in here, they're like, I'm not scared of my wife. You lying. <laughs> lying. Terrified of her. Because you know what? You, you sleep. Every night. Let that just marinate for a little bit, okay? Every night you go to sleep. And you know some of your wives, right? Because they had to get up with the kids. They get out of bed, get back in bed. You didn't know what's going on. What's going on? Nothing. Just go back to sleep. Okay. One of those times she can get out and just come back with like a pillow. What's going on? Nothing. Just go back to sleep. Like you're fine. But you know why people treat their marriages that way? Because it's all about me, what I want. Do you know why marriages are wrecked right now? Because it's a lack of fulfilled expectations that were never established and completely are unrealistic. People enter marriages like with all these expectations. You're going to do this and you're going to be this. And then they never communicate that to the spouse or they try to uneffectively or they do in aggression. And then the other spouse is left to try to fulfill all these expectations. By the way, your spouse can't fulfill all your needs. There's only one person that can fulfill every need you have. And it's not your spouse. It's not your employer. It's not your government. It's not your president. It's not Republican or Democrat or independent or liberal or constitutionalist or any other party you want to throw out there. It's Jesus Christ. He fulfills every desire. And how do I find that fulfillment and that delight when I stop trying to do it myself and I just fall flat on my face before him and say, man, I need you. I need you. We become dependent upon him. So how do we stop thinking one way and start thinking another way? We need our minds renovated. That's the word for renewing there. You need the Holy Spirit to come in and just gut everything out. 
just gut it and then just start rebuilding little by little. Then how does the Holy Spirit do that? He does that through the Word of God. He does that through the teaching and preaching of God's Word, but also the individual study of God's Word. You see, we have the mind of Christ given to us in salvation. We have the mind of Christ, and we can, by the grace of God and to the glory of God, allow that mind or attitude to be manifested to the world around us. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Jot that down for notes. Again, our minds can drift from truth and into conformity to the world's way of thinking, but it doesn't have to stay there. As we surrender to his spirit, we are completely changed for the better and will think as we should. Jesus goes on to say this in John chapter 15, that we abide in Christ and live as one of his disciples as we abide in his word. John 15, 1 through 10. Isn't that amazing Jesus says that? Hey, you want to abide in me? You want to be in my presence? You want to be one of my disciples? Here's how you do that. Abide in my words, Jesus says. And there is power in the word of God. And we are so blessed to be able to read that word anytime we choose. You see, the word reveals who we can be in Christ by, yes, renewing our minds, but also by strengthening our faith. By strengthening our faith. Romans 10 and verse 17. You're already there in Romans 12. Just go over a page or two. Renews our mind, renovates our mind. Renovation shows are really big right now. And as you think, next time you watch one of those renovation shows, I don't even know if they're all called anymore. There's like a billion of them now, right? I always love the first-time renovator ones. Like this guy's like, oh, yeah, what, put a whole new kitchen in? I got this, right? And like $35,000 later and six months later, he's like on the floor weeping like a child because he realizes he couldn't even use a hammer, but he's going to remodel the whole kitchen, and now his house is falling in. His wife's freaking out. The kids, they're moving to mom-in-laws. And it's just crazy. But the next time you watch one of those shows, don't laugh at the person sitting on the floor crying. Okay, don't do that. But I want you to think about God as I'm watching this show about human renovation, this home being renovated. Man, may I be reminded that you're renovating my mind, that you're deconstructing all this junk that maybe I was taught or all this stuff that doesn't align with your word, and you're rebuilding something. You're, you're strengthening my mind and strengthening my faith. Romans 10, 17. It says this, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The whole passage, if you read it, it's powerful. It's talking about the fact that, that Christ has a desire to save. But there's a limitation to, to who's going to be able to be saved in the sense of what Paul says, because they have to know who Jesus is. Then he says, well, how are they going to know who Jesus is unless somebody, what, goes? And who's going to go? A preacher must go. And you might say, oh, sweet, get out of jail free card. I'm not a preacher. The word preacher, that just means proclaimer. We're all, as followers of Christ, proclaimers of his glory and his grace. So we go and we proclaim. This is once you go and once you proclaim, then they'll have an opportunity to receive Christ. Why? Because they've heard. And what do they hear? What do we teach the people? What are we proclaiming to them? The very word of God. Spending time in God's word will not, I'm sorry, will, not might, but will 
grow your faith and trust in Christ. You see, the, the faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God, our faith isn't just strengthened to be saved. It's actually strengthened as we live this life for Christ. How is our faith strengthened? How does this take place from the word of God? This happens because our minds are being changed, as we already talked about. We are learning the very will and purpose of God for us in this world. We are reading of those that went before and how God used them in their failures and successes. Aren't you glad God gives us the failure stories too? Aren't you glad that when you're reading about someone, you go, oh man, he blew it. Man, they, they screwed up. I'm glad that's in there. You know why? Because it reminds me, man, but look at how God used them. Look at what God did for them and how he showed his glory through them. So we understand we read their failures and their successes. Look at how God used this ordinary, average, nobody to change the world. Acts says the disciples who were uneducated men, the Pharisees said. The Sanhedrin said they're just uneducated. They're not wise when it comes to religious education. But they turned the city upside down. How? Because they sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his words. And now they're actually believing his words to the point of what? Living it out. Isn't it amazing when we hear the word of God and then we actually apply the word of God? What does James say about one that hears just to hear and not a doer? James says, man, if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, you're deceiving your own selves. You're tricking yourself. You think you're religious. You think you're godly. You think you're a Christian that's following Christ because you go to church and hear some words talk to you. And some of you borderline masochists because I yell at you and you keep coming back week after week. I don't know what's going on. You just think, oh, I, just, I heard some words today. That's great. Okay, glorify God. Amen. And we go out. We don't live out what we actually know to be true. And these disciples changed the world not because they were super charismatic, great speakers. How about the Apostle Paul? Do you know what he was called by those that criticized him? The babbler. He couldn't speak well. But God used him. Why? Because he just gave them God's words. This is all I got to give you. We can read of their failures and their successes. We can also understand the word is true and never changes. Our faith is strengthened because the word is true and never changes. And it reveals our God never changes. Which gives us greater hope and confidence in him. If you want stronger faith and trust in Christ, it will happen when you spend time in his word with an open heart and an open mind. Spending time in his word will strengthen your faith. It is a guarantee from God. Because a stronger faith means more trust, means greater confidence, means you're going to glorify him to the fullest. One last quote. And again, I, I wanted to give a lot of different voices to this. D.L. Moody said this. I used to think I should close my Bible and pray for faith. Listen to this now. I used to think I should close my Bible and pray for faith. But I came to see that in studying the word that I was to get faith. And I love the power of that. This book is powerful. This book is life changing. No, check that. This book is eternity changing. This book can cut into me, open up my heart, my soul, my mind, and God will begin to reveal who I really am. Like a mirror, and now I can look and see, oh, I need 
that to change. I need that to change. And I can't change that. And God says, no, 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 just rest in my grace and I'll change all that in you. This book is amazing because it, in the same moment of cutting you open, and even, by the way, which can be painful, you ever read a passage and it just, it actually hurts you? Man, God, I, I didn't want to read that. Wait, you mean I have to do this and you're asking me to give up that? See, the Word of God will cause some pain in your life. But the very same Word will give comfort and healing to your life. And here's the thing. Whenever God cuts you open, the end result is always for His glory and your blessing. So it might be painful for a moment. But I promise you, if you will surrender to it and allow Him to move in you, you will see a great blessing from it. Not that you might gain something physically or financially, maybe or maybe not, I don't know, but it's more about he will glorify himself through you and you will see God like you never had before. Man, all I'm asking you to do this week, and here's what I want to do. We're going to close in prayer and have an invitation of time for response. And, and, and I think we're just going to have some instruments that are going to play and we're not going to sing. But here's what I want you to do. If you've been treating this book like anything less than what it really is, the words of God, this book doesn't contain truth. It is truth. If you've been treating it as anything other than that, maybe you would come and bend a knee and say, God, would you renovate my thinking? Would you destroy that and build up an honor and a reverence for your word that I would give myself to it? I would become a student of your book that I may know it and glorify you in my life. God, I just want to come and just, maybe you want to come and just bend a knee and say, God, I want to thank you for giving me your word for making it available to us. Do you know how many people throughout church history gave their lives so you could have an English copy of this book? I mean, people have sacrificed everything to write this in English so you could read it today. And most of us go, that was great. And we just never pick it up again. Oh, it's Sunday. I better get out. I better get going to church. Some of you only go to this book when you want to know, man, God, I read a promise that you were going to do this for me. And I know that's in here somewhere. Where did you say you were going to take care of that? Oh, there it is. I claim it. Do it. Off I go. And I'm, I understand my sarcasm is not to make fun of anyone. It's to point out the ridiculousness of what we're doing. This is not to make you go, oh, I feel really guilty now. No, it's to make you go, man, what's the logical conclusion? What's the common sense conclusion to Christ giving everything for me, dying on the cross for my sins, resurrecting me into new life and giving me a home in heaven forever? Maybe. I should spend some time with him. Maybe I should listen to these words. Maybe what it actually says I should live. I can tell, and we've said it before over the awkward series. God is not going to be impressed with your ability to memorize verses when you stand before him if you've not done anything it actually says. Oh God, I know you said go into all the world and make disciples. I memorized it. I didn't do it because I didn't really believe it. You might say, oh no, no, I believe that, but I'm just not doing it. Then you don't believe it. True belief is always reflected in action. That's the whole point of James. We don't act to be saved. We're saved, so therefore we act. And whatever God is doing, and however he's speaking to you, maybe you've been confronted with some scriptures and you know God's word is true on this, but you're rebelling against it. I promise you, you will not have joy like you can have. You will not have peace. You might look fine in the world's eyes and everything's good, but I'm telling you, if you want to please him, you come to him and say, God, I'm surrendered to you and your word. Whatever you have for me, would you glorify yourself through me? 
So maybe you'd come this morning and just bend a knee. Say, God, I'm ready. I want to honor your word. I'm going to elevate your word for what it is. Maybe you're hearing there's something altogether different on your heart and mind. You barely heard a word I said, not because you were being rude, because something is going on that you're just extremely distracted with. A hurt, a pain, a struggle. Listen to me now. God sees it, God cares about it, and he wants to minister to you. So maybe you'd come and say, God, I just need your grace. I need you to teach me and to show me how you can use this for, for your glory. Would you bow your heads to me in a word of prayer? And Again, in just a moment, we are going to stand and give you a chance to respond to God's word and to whatever he's doing in your life. Maybe there in your seats, maybe you want to come forward. Again, it's about just surrendering to him and allowing him to minister to you. All I'm asking is that you would just respond. Don't respond because somebody is watching. Don't respond because you think somebody wants you to. Respond because you believe God is moving you to. Respond because you know that God has been impressing something on your heart through his word and you've been rejecting it. Will you just surrender and say, God, I come before you and ask you to shape me and use me for your glory. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. As we are before you, Lord, we ask that you would speak into our lives. Give us boldness to follow through, Lord. Help us to understand it's not about performance. It's not about doing all these things to impress you or to make you love me or to make you happy. I mean, we just understand that it's just logical. It's common sense that if you did all this for me, that I should surrender to you. And may I just give myself to your word because it reveals your character to me. It reveals your presence and the blessing that is. It shows who I can be in Christ as you renew my mind through it. And as you strengthen my faith for you, that I could live this life. Father, we need you. We're dependent upon you. And thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Again, just spend some time in prayer there where you are. I'm asking you to stand so if anybody wants to come forward, they can move without climbing over somebody. So if you want to come, will you come? I'm surrendered to God's word. I'm honoring it as his word, and I need it to be my, my lead, my guide. Not that I am the point of the story, but that God is point of the story and his glory is reflected. Will you respond? As you're there in your seats, just continue to pray. Just continue to seek him and pray and ask God, God, would you show me your glory? Would you help me to believe your word to the point of action? Don't worry about anyone else. You just come and bend a knee. Maybe you want to come and say, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to me that I could worship you and know you. Thank you for showing me your word that I could even find Christ. That you revealed the gospel.